Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Welcome back to another episode of the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Today, my guest is Michael Spinoza, and he's going to take us through his journey of uh, starting, building, and growing Unleashed Technologies. What is interesting about Michael, though, is he, like many people, comes out of the corporate world and out of a, a very structured sense of what one should do with their lives. You know, I think if we look at our fathers, our grandfathers, you know, they had a very rigid idea of, of employment and status and what that meant as a, as a person. And I think Michael had shared a very personal journey with how he went about his role in corporate and how he's had some fairly significant situations that have caused him to really rethink what he's doing and then tackle the journey of an entrepreneur. I love Michael's humility. You know, he talks about some of the challenges. He talks about sometimes being the problem in your own business but how you deal with that sense of self-worth and the judgment and all the things that come along sometimes when you decide to go out on your own and cut your own path. I've really enjoyed this episode. Michael shares a huge amount of tips and insights about his journey and eventual exit. Uh, I hope you enjoyed as well. This is Michael Spinoza. Michael Spinoza, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Simon. My pleasure indeed. Michael, I know we're going to uh, chat about a lot of things today, and uh, and we'll probably spend a little bit of time talking about your business, Unleashed Technologies, which which I know you exited from. Maybe just for our audience, could you give us a little bit of background and kind of what led to you sort of starting that company? So do you just want that business background, or do you want a little bit of that personal background? I can do both. I think whatever works for you. I'm happy to roll. All right. Okay. I can, I can, I can do that. So... From a business background, um, I come from a family that has never really had an entrepreneur in 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 the thing. So what's interesting is I think my father kind of steered me that way at a young age without realizing it. Even though he was not saying it, he was kind of pointing me in that direction. Um, I started my career out. Um, I graduated during the dot-com bust. So I started with no work. I I was immediately hired. I was given a BMW and an $80,000 paycheck. And you have to remember, I think this was circa 2001, right? So so 80000 a day might be viewed differently than it was in 2001, right? Right out of college, they're like, you can turn a computer on? You're the guy. That yeah. lasted two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Oh, no. And then I that was gone. Uh, I was living up in Boston, Massachusetts, which makes me a Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics 
Bruins fan, all of it. And my, my family's from that region. So I ended up tucking tail and moving back to Maryland because I needed to get on my feet. Um, and I was in development. I graduated with a computer science, mate, uh, computer science bachelor's. And um, I ended up doing three systems inside the White House at that time, um, SBA, ICS, and another system. Recently retired. So, so for the layman, what, what does that mean for the layman? You know, these the 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 jargon. Is, yeah. So, the White House itself has the executive residence, and inside the executive residence, people wouldn't understand this, but there's this huge machine running the executive residence, and it's far bigger than you could possibly imagine. And so, ICS stands for Inventory Control System, trying to contract, trying to control everything that's in that place, every piece of inventory, everything that they have. The small business administration is SBA means the contracts. So like all the different contracts that they had, they had a system that managed that. And then the third system was time and attendance was very important at that time. Different time now, but, you know, clock in, clock out, right? Like oh, tracking yeah. everybody's time, no matter what. So those were three systems. And if I could even date myself, those were built in VB, VB.net over uh, Citrix mainframe is how they were delivered, right? So when you say that stuff to people now, they're like, how old are you? You know? <laughs> so, so, and .NET was like the newest of new, right? It was the framework. It had just come out. Um, but I, I ended up doing that. And while I was working there, the, the weird part is the company that I worked for that placed me there actually went bankrupt while I was working there and everybody was being fired behind me that was in the local office. And I would check in and I was like, this is not good. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, uh, I'm getting a little worried. And I was right. The second those systems wrapped up, they collected their final checks and they closed the door. So at this point I had to make a decision and I decided, and this is, this is going to come full circle. This is an important part of the story. I was like, there's no money in custom software development. Sounds ludicrous to us now, right? But like, you have to understand, I'm like 22 and I'm like, this is two bankrupt companies back to back. No fault of my own. I'm not an entrepreneur yet. I'm like, I can't do this. So I reset my career. I went from, my first job was 70 or $80,000. I think it was 80. I can't remember. And then the next job was like 65 or 70 in that zone. And then I ended up going all the way to help desk level one <laughs> to restart in IT. And the reason this story is important is because this is where we're going to frame up how Unleashed was born. And so I reset and I'm making 40 grand a year. And I am not thrilled with this proposition, Simon, not at all. But now I've got this computer science background, this development background, and I've got, I've got IT that I've started out. Well, needless to say, I was tremendously overqualified for the position that I took. And this was a good thing because I was quickly escalated through the ranks of this company. So um, for the, you know, for American listeners, that was, there was a company called Macro Internationals, very large, like 300, $400 million. And it was purchased by a company called ICF International, which people, a lot of people are familiar with, which is, I don't know if they're over a billion, but they're, they're, they're up there. And I ended up elevating 
all the way to right before you become a vice president. I have a bachelor's degree. This is an important part of the story. Uh, and I was in security. So we're going to, we need to note that because I was in security and I was getting pushed towards policy and procedure and things. And I couldn't say that I enjoyed what I was doing at the time, but I had gone from making 50,000 to much more than that. I can't remember, but over a hundred, I think like, and again, time period matters, right? Like at that time, this was an incredible living, you know? And, um, uh, I elevated myself by, I always say there's the Abraham Lincoln way and the Adolf Hitler way. Well, 43 year old Mike is Abraham Lincoln. 24 year old Mike was Adolf Hitler, right? He came through and he was busting everybody up as he did it. And he couldn't stand underperformers and it drove him insane. Anybody that didn't do a level work was incompetent. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. I was wrong and I know I was wrong, but it was, it was part of my journey. It was part of the journey that I had to have. So basically I'm about to be escalated. Uh, I think to vice president and I, this is where the story, I want to be careful with what I say, but the long and short of it is that I needed to go get a master's to be escalated to a vice president. And I said to myself, this isn't this isn't right for me. I I need to be my own man. I kind of knew it. So I walked downstairs after that meeting and I sat at my desk and I called who is the person I exited with at Unleashed, which was Scott Greenwell. And I said, let's do a web company. Let's let's do it. So we started we started working on this web company. And the best part I think about my story is that. There's a couple things I did that I feel are less common. I came from a spot of not doing sales. I came from a spot of not knowing any strategy. I came from a spot of not raising any money. At no point in Unleashed's journey was a dollar raised or a loan taken to get that company off the ground. So I called Scott and I said, we should do this website thing. Now, what people don't talk about in their journey is they only see, we talk about the iceberg, right? At the tip, you only see the tip, right? You don't see all the work that gets layered as they'll go. So I start working 80 hour work weeks where I'm working my full-time job and unleash technologies. And then I had a really honest conversation with myself one day, my, my full-time job, uh, you know, and I want to give a testament to two people there. And I, I don't know that I should call their name out or not. Cause I don't know how it will impact them. They, they both still work there, but it's, but they really did a lot to keep me going while they saw me decline because I think they kind of knew why I was declining. And I had done so much for that organization. They wanted to support me as long as they could. And I've got found in conflict of interest, not because I was competing with them because the time they knew that my efforts were going to other places and they said, you have a choice. You can either go do this thing or stay here. You can be a financial investor over here, but you can't do it. You can put money into it, but you can't do it. You can do this. So this is one of the emotional pivot points in my life because my entire identity has been tied up on climbing the corporate ladder. 
My father was a lifer at Northrop Grumman. He lived there when it went from Westinghouse to CBS to Northrop Grumman, all the way through. There's just, he just boop, 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 boop. He started answering phones in Massachusetts all the way up to upper echelons in the shipping and receiving. So, so quick question. Um, how did you find, I mean, I, I, I find it interesting seeing people and I, I can put my hand up as, as one of these people as well. It, it's quite a switch stepping out of corporate. And I think there's, <laughs> my experience was always when I was in corporate, I never worried about money, but I was always frustrated and annoyed and, and worried about freedom. Um, then when I went into my first business, I had all the freedom in the world and then I didn't have enough money. Um, and you know, look, obviously if you do okay in, in your business, money starts to sort itself out, but it's a bit, it can be quite a big leap. Um, and, and I see it now, even in this environment, we've had a lot of, um, people who are in the corporate world now approaching to buy some of the businesses that we're selling, for example. And I just find as a common theme, I don't want to uh, tire everybody with the same brush, but as a common theme, many corporate people seem to find it really hard to pull the trigger and jump into business for themselves, whether they're buying a business or doing a startup. You know, you give up the salary, you give up the security, you give up the the persona, the, the position, the authority, the kudos, all that stuff that comes with having built a career in corporate. How did you find that? I mean, what did you did you have any of that sort of internal conflict, or was it was it different for you? Oh, it's terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And so, what I mean by, but let me tell you, when I say it's terrible, I look back on it fondly. So, I get found in conflict of interest, and they're like, "We'll give you forty eight hours to make your decision." And about four months before that, I had an epiphany. I was going to networking events and these were terrible events. I mean, terrible events like like BNI, like just not matching up because I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to learn and build and do these things. And and I had this epiphany and I, I you know, I try not to mix words. I was a fraud. I was a fraud. I was the guy. I was the eternal side hustle guy that wasn't making the commitment. So now I had I had I had gotten the business to a point where Scott was working full time. Now when I want I want to clarify Scott working full time. He was making a Burger King wage. Like he was not like he was just but he was full time and I was I was doing the double dip and I I had this epiphany. So when I found myself in conflict of interest, I knew I was at a crossroads in my life and there had to be a decision that was made. Now this is this is a really valuable personal important part of the story. I let my family know, and this will give you the dynamics of any entrepreneur, is that what is your support system? So I talked to my parents, I talked to my wife, and I talked to my wife's parents. And other people knew. Universally, with the exception of two people, Everybody said, you don't have what it takes. I mean, almost wholesale was like, you don't have what it takes. And they were trying to be polite. They're like, those guys are different. They're cut from a different cloth, Mike. That's not you. And and um, I have always been fueled by adversity. And, and you know, it's funny. I'll tell, I'll tell a quick story about the person that shocked me the most. 
And then I'll tell you, you know, um, the two people that supported me. Uh, actually, I'll go with the two people that supported me first. My father unconditionally. My father has been a beacon in my life the entire time. He's, he said, Mike, you got to do it. He's like, I have so many regrets in my life being full-time corporate for the rest of my life. He's like, if I would have made so many different decisions, but I was raised during, you know, a period where it, we had no money and I was just, I've always been afraid. I've always been afraid of that, losing that security. And then the other was my wife. And she said, I'd rather be poor and happy than wealthy and miserable. And she's like, you are miserable and it's affecting our lives, right? Like, she's like, it's affecting us. She's like, I didn't marry you to be miserable. I married you to be happy. I don't need money. So the story that I, that I have, and I'm sure I'll be killed for this, is that I was sitting in my parents' house and I was telling my father-in-law that I got found in conflict of interest. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, this is probably for the best. I don't know if you had what it took. And I looked at him. I looked at him on the couch. And this is a wonderful man. He's been unbelievably supportive of my family. But he's not cut from back to cut from the cloth. He's very much, he's a career teacher. And I said, actually, I quit. I had already made the decision. And we just gazed at each other. And he was not pleased with me, man. He was not pleased. This is, I just married his daughter. <laughs> just married his daughter. And we were just staring at each other. And I was, I, I, I can only imagine what was going through his head at that time. So I quit. We have a pizza party the last day that I work. I'm planned to start tomorrow. Like the very following, the following day at Unleashed, my appendix ruptures. Oh. <laughs> during the pizza party. I'm like, something's wrong with me. And they're like, ah, you're fine or whatever. No, nope. I go to the hospital. They do the surgery. I'm in there for three days. And there's pictures of me on the laptop in the hospital. It was, you know, like no time for this. There's zero time for this. So now I'm my independent man. And you wanted to talk about what was that like? I got out of the hospital. I got home. We'd recently bought a house and uh, it was our first home. It was actually um, the home of um, the mayor of Baltimore, D'Alessandro. Beautiful house, 1930-something. Quick advice, if don't buy a house from 1930-something if you don't want to do work on it every day. Every day. But they, we're, we're sitting there, and I, this is the part that I was talking about. I said to myself, what the F have I done? What have I done? I have given away everything that I have worked for up to this point. I'm a nobody. Because when you're raised in that culture, those ranks mean something to you. They're so valuable to you. And you don't, and I was at the beginning phase, I was like, I've given up everything. I am nothing. And, but what I had done was shut the back door. So I think a lot of people talk about like how their spirits are lifted and they're going to go after it. And like, the truth is, if you've had success in your corporate career and then you make this switch, that is so much harder than coming from nothing. It is so much harder to walk away from something where you found success and reset to zero. So Unleashed Technologies was truly born in that moment. And I would say it took me a solid two or three months to understand that 
you know, Bill Gates was a CEO. I'm a CEO. You know, I think Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, whoever it is, I'm not different than them. I'm just, I'm just at a different scale. And it's, I can, I can wallow in this corporate culture idea, or I can accept the fact that I can be great without anybody, without anybody telling me I'm great. Yeah. I like I like the fact that uh, you, you're able to use this sort of uh, as a fuel to 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 drive you. I mean, I think you know, I think time and time again, it seems that it's we learn more from our mistakes than our successes. We're driven more by adversity than we are by the the easy ride. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's clearly sort of come come out in your situation as well. Well, we had no we had no money, so not a, so. We went and we stole milk crates from the back of Safeway. And we pulled Scott's door off the hinges in our first office. This is real. And we made a desk because we didn't have a desk. And when I say we were broke, we were broke. And we were going through the process of building up. If I told you some of the office nightmares that we had, I mean, they were just unreal. And the lessons and learning were, were tremendous. But I'll stick to the milestones of the eggs, like getting to the exit. It was about two or three years. There was about two or three years in. I used to pace. I, I guess I had anxiety and I didn't know it at the time. But like I was always amped and wired and ready to go for everything. And I was outside uh, smoking cigarettes because that's what I that's what you do when you're when you're under the gun. And at least what I did. And so so uh, I'm pacing nonstop. And I just remember throwing the cigarette down. I'm sure Scott will see this and he'll remember this moment. I said, we are so average. I just had this epiphany. It had been three years and there was just nothing special about the company that we were building. There was nothing remarkable. It was so hard to face it. It was, we were staring right at it. We would do anything that anybody asked. If we didn't know the tech, we would figure it out, which that's actually a strength, but not at the scale we were doing it, not in the clip. And like, we weren't getting in a direction. I was like, I was like, if I had to rate our company today, it'd be a six out of 10. I'd give us a 60%. Who wants to do business with a 60% company? Then I looked at the entire market because we're in web design, web application development. And I said, what does this market look like? So I started looking at all the companies and everybody kind of lived in this 900,000 to like million dollar, maybe $1.2 million range. There's like a ton of us. Like if you put a pin in the map and we do a five mile radius, there's going to be 40 of us. I was like, how do we carve out of this? <laughs> because this isn't my vision. This isn't what I had planned for us. So there was two major discoveries at Unleashed that are going to seem more commonplace now. But at the time, they put us in. They talk about the true innovators. And I forget what the next step down is, but we were in that middle zone. We we found out something. We figured out something that was really important. The first major discovery was I walked in. I pulled the staff together that worked to us. In fact, all the way through 2019, the almost all of my staff remained. Like the, I was able to retain for almost 14, 15 years what I call the OGs, right? They were with me from the beginning. I sat down and said, we suck. And they're like confirmed. And I was like, okay, 
what are we going to do? And they're, they're like, I don't know. And I was like, we need to, we need to pick a thing. What is our thing? And they're like, the guys start chatting. This is all real time. Like, it's not like they go research and come back. They're like, we got a thing. I was like, tell me about the thing. They're like, it's called Drupal. And it's called like, what? Sorry. Drupal. Drupal. So Drupal is an enter enterprise content management platform that is used for, it competes with like Adobe AM. You might not know these brands, but Adobe AM, uh, large, large scale platforms. And it's the only open source, truly enterprise platform. And they showed it to me and it completely defied the logic of any systems that had come before it. And I said, I fucking hate it. <laughs> and they're like, I, they're like, we're pretty sure it's the future though. And I looked at my team and I said, look how smart these young people are. Let's do it. It was, it was, it was done just like that. I was like, let's do it. Let's commit to it. Let's go after it. And I said, if you're telling me this is the future and that this is what's being adopted. And we were, we were coming in, we, we were coming in a year after it started gaining popularity. We weren't first to the table, but we're, we're very close. We're very close. So we're going to focus on this platform. When we sell, we're going to, this is what we're selling. This is the system that we're moving forward with. The second revelation was everywhere I went, the only way that the kind of work that we did was, was built two ways, period, period. Time and materials or something called firm fixed price. These were the only two models that existed. And I said, this doesn't make sense. This is broken because if they do time and materials, they get billed to death. If they do firm fixed price, the company takes gets bloodbathed almost always, right? Like the the margins go to zero no matter how much padding you build in, whatever's happening. It's all it always turns into a nightmare because part of what we do was very subjective. It had design, it had we were always building custom functionality and you got to watch out for the, oh, we assumed it would do this, right? That is a terrible spot to be in as a custom developer. So I said, what if we flip that model on its head? What if we set aside a set amount of hours every month for our client in which they have access to developers, designers, marketing specialists, project managers, solutions architects, and they use those people in the dosages they need. And the biggest lesson I took away from this was, as a more mature business owner, we have a natural tendency now to overplan things because we've seen the damage that underplanning can do, right? And we're like, so now if we want to open up a new division, we can't just go after it. We need to have the practice lead and this project manager and 12 developers and the team is set and these guys do this. And so what I learned there is like, we're going to beta this model. We're going to test this model out and we're just going to go for it. And as we go, we're going to learn. So these were the two major things. So Drupal and we called it growth packages. We coined that. I think we might own a, is it? trademark the word it might be i forget what it is but it's it's like a copyright trademark on the actual phrase and so we decided we were going to go after this so we start going through the process i say it's about december 
I'm going to get, I don't want to quote years because I'm going to totally mess, mess it up, but I'm going to say around 2010. Okay. Like in that zone, we're about to come into January. We've got $7 in the account payroll coming. Seven bucks. Personal horror story. Uh, during this time, I'm still not, we're at like year three. I'm making 30, $40,000 tops. Tops. And you're on three years of this. So this is the first time I'm not able to pay my mortgage. We are dumping out a bin of coins. Like, you know, like your cruise fund jar. We're short. And it's the first time I ever had to call my father and ask for a loan. And I said, I'm in a tough spot. I need a couple months to do this. Well, fate favors the bold. I meet this group, and I'm going to say them because they changed our lives. They changed our lives forever, and I maintain, even now through Shield 7, I maintain a relationship with them. They were called the United States Naval Institute, and they were with one of the biggest behemoths that anybody had ever heard of, which is American Eagle, still in, still in business today, hundreds of millions, web development firm. And they're looking at us, and it's me, Scott this really eccentric guy that has the buttons down four buttons with a gold chain. I, I don't know how we got him, but he was part of our team. Right. And so we're sitting there and she's like, you know, I'm going to have to truncate this, but long story short, she's like, I'm going to pick you. If you get me fired, my brothers will kill you. <laughs> exact quote. Because she was the daughter. Her name is Mary Ripley and she's wonderful. Like we're very close friends. And she said, we're going to kill you. And so her father is the most famous Marine I think that's ever lived. Just John Ripley. He blew up the bridge. I think it's in Da Nang by himself with like one other guy. Like he's like the super Marine. And then of course she has two or three brothers, um, all which can kill me handily. And she's like, this is happening. She's like, I'm taking a huge bet on you. So the bet is that you're going to show up. She gave us the largest contract in company history, and we ended up getting flush just very quickly, and we were off to the races. The growth package was born, the Drupal practice was born, and then we started writing our ticket. I mean, we made the Inc. 5000 three years in a row. We were growing exponentially. Uh, we learned a lot about fast growth in that process. That is in a professional services firm. So we made the Inc. 5000 three years in a row. And I see other firms that make it nine years in a row, right? They're just blowing it up. And I got to the point where I wasn't able to control the quality of product because we were so custom. And one of the things that I didn't mention is we started going from $500 websites to $1,000 websites, and we jumped to $7,000 websites. Then we jumped to 50,000 websites. And then if you took it till I sold it, I wouldn't even talk to you if it wasn't one hundred and fifty to $200,000 a year because we were constantly moving upstream, constantly moving upstream. And we wanted that. So remember, you got a crew of guys. We taught ourselves everything. Everything, how to enterprise project manage, how to build large scale projects, how to code correctly, like everything that we did, we taught ourselves and we put ourselves in these enterprise spaces by just constantly learning. There was negative things that came with the culture 
that I created that, you know, if I'm being honest is, um, one of the mistakes I made is nothing was ever good enough. Like wins were rarely celebrated. They could have always been better. Any hiccup in the road was like world ending because we took it so serious. It was so serious for us to be the best that if somebody's like, I don't like that, we'd be like, we blew it. We blew it. They don't like it. We pack it up. you know. <laughs> but, but when we came to that, as we walked through that journey, we ended up diversifying into large application development. Uh, we always stayed in open source. That was the one rule that we maintained was we need to be specialized, specialized in open source. So in that, you let it lent itself to, um, to the web world because where open source has really hung its hat is in the web space. Other spaces, it's really floundered and struggled a lot, but in the web space, it's been highly successful uh, for a lot of people. So I don't know where you want to jump from there, but so answer. Your <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, so, so you, I mean, the company started in sort of, uh, I think you were saying 2007-ish, and I am looking at you sort of exited around 2021. At what point on this journey did you start thinking about exiting? So I never thought about exiting. This is where the story gets weird. So I will tell you that I felt I've been doing this when I sold, I've been doing it for almost 15 years. And when I started the company, my thought was I'm going to pass this on to my kids and raise my, like, this is going to be a forever thing. And what I found was coming into about 2017 ish. I really, I had a staff now of about 50 people, maybe a little bit bigger there was always, it, we always teetered between anywhere from 45 to 60 people. Like it would, it would jump in and out of there. And I, I started losing passion a little bit. Like I started letting my hobbies take over, which at the time I just thought that I felt too, I got really comfortable in my business and what I was doing. But what I, what I realized in hindsight was that I was looking for something new. Like I was like, the, my focus is like, I used to wake up and be like, it's time to get to work. I have no time to waste. Right. And I was like, oh man, should I do this today or that today? And like the company grown. Um, at one point I learned a hard lesson in 2017 where I was very hands off of the business. And I had, I had um, an individual in place that was killing my staff killing the margins, changing my culture. And I was not where I needed to be in that journey. And this was a hard lesson as an executive. I came back, meaning I was always there, but I came back mentally and I we had to clean it all up. Like it was a big cleanup job. And for other entrepreneurs, like just to highlight, the road is not going to be smooth. And sometimes it's going to be you that's the problem. And I was the problem, right? I was, I was, I, I had checked out in a lot of senses because I felt like I've got everybody in the places I need. This is what I was waiting for, you know? And so I came back in 2018, we got everything back on track, but I started, I started noticing that like my passion was slowly eroding. And if I can't be the best at something or, or aspire to be the best at something with all of my heart, 
that's an indication to an entrepreneur that they need to start looking at an exit. If you're looking at your company and you're saying you could be 40 million or 5 million. And if you're looking at yourself and being like, yeah, it's okay. This is good for me. I don't really want to do anything new. I don't want to investigate anything new. You have just started your decline. In my opinion, that's where the decline starts. Yeah, it makes sense. Just for some context, you sort of said waivers between 45 to 60 staff. I mean, what, what was the business sort of turning over roughly at its, at its peak? Turning over in terms of staff? No, in terms of, of revenue. Terms of revenue. In terms of revenue, yeah. In revenue, we were like, I don't know. I feel like we did good. We were like at seven, half, eight million. It was pretty good. Yep. So I sold it to figures. Yep. Now, here's that goes back to that problem. It was never good enough for me. Nothing was ever good enough for me um, it, because I always thought we could do better. I was like, we can, we can earn more. We can do more. So in 2019, unpopular opinion, going to say it. Donald Trump changed my life because he changed the tax code. Yep. He changed the tax code in a way that I was saving 15% on my federal taxes. This is like company changing stuff, man. Like 15% to an $8 million company is a lot of money. And I was hiring new people. We were building in different areas. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, I, I thought it was great. So so I'm flying high as a kite. Now we're in 2019. We're coming to midway years. I'm, I'm crushing like 30% margins on a small firm. Life is absolutely amazing. Deals are pouring through the door just pouring through the door to the point like I never thought I'd get to the point where I'm just not going to touch it. Like if I don't want it, I don't take it. Right. Like, like, yeah, you have to understand the context, Simon. At this point, we were the number one Drupal shop in the world. Like there were, there were, there were bigger ones by like wide margins, but by end of end, like I'm with hundreds of people and, Huge projects that they did, but from a pure review, I guess I call it peer review or customer review, third-party validation perspective, we were top dog. We were the only company that was under 100 employees listed as a top 10 global, best global service provider for what we did. Like everybody else was like 400 or some crazy number. And we were just hanging with them. And I... Uh, I so so wrapping into that, or I guess I guess what I would say is life is great. I get yeah. a call. No, no, go ahead, finish your thought, and then I'll. I'll no, jump no, into you that. say you, you say you got a call. I think you're starting to go where I was going to go. So what what year is this now that you get a call? 2019. Yep, probably early in the year, maybe Marchish. I I'm a bad dates guy, but I can get general areas right. So. So Martin, I, I get an email and it says, hey, this guy wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay, about what? <laughs> you know? And he, he's like, oh, you know, we're just going to, and I've been getting pinged, by the way. Once you get over 5 million, people start sending you emails like crazy about buying you. So 
I'm like, I, I don't have time for this. And then he's like, just talk to this guy. He just wants to see what synergies exist. And I always know when somebody wants to buy a company because they're cryptic. They're very <laughs> cryptic when they're coming in to purchase you. They're like, we want to see what you got going on and just talk about what the future might hold. Like, they don't want to say, yeah. I'm looking to acquire you. They just want to, they just want to like feel you out first. So I'm like, okay, all right, um, fine. I'll take a call with this guy. The guy gets on the phone and I was just like, I've got zero interest in selling this company. He's like, well, why don't we get an LOI and why don't I just show you what I'm thinking? And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> you didn't hear me. I'm not interested. Click. Yeah. I get an email. I get a call. He hits me back. He's like, let's just take a look at this thing. Why? And this is the most persistent person that I've dealt with. So I call Scott and I say, you know, maybe this is something we should look at. So I had a very hard dynamic. I made a mistake early on that I don't think you're going to hear from other entrepreneurs. When I was building this company, I said, we're going to the top and I'm not going to sell this company. Because I thought that that was the truth. I really did. Like, I, like that was my intent. That was everything to me was that we were going to take this thing to the moon as one team. And finally, I said, Scott, let's just, fine, we'll give them a shot. And I said, there's no number that you could put in front of me that's going to make me sell this company. <laughs> and so we get into the LOI. He starts looking at my books. He's running my staff ragged. I'm starting to get pissed. Yeah. You know, like, because they're, you know, they're, they're trying to figure everything out. So at this point, are you handling it all yourself or did you have some external advisors helping you? So I did not. Yep. Cool. So, so you're probably being run ragged at this stage too. <laughs> right. So I've got the one thing I did do is I used a gentleman. So I thought we were the, the absolute creme de la creme. So in 2017, I had a gentleman that was an expert in our industry come look at our business. And I'm like, he's going to tell us we're the best ever. We don't have anything to improve. He wrecked us. Like, he's like, this is wrong. These are your true margins. This is what this is. This is what this is. This is what they look for. You're not in a good spot. So I said, whoa, whoa, I thought you were going to tell us we were great. So I've always been a person where you can't offend me and I don't have ego in that kind of game. So I said, all right. So I spent the whole next year and I got it back almost to the letter. Like the next year, I had him come back in. I said, take another look. Tell me what you think. And he was like, 80% improvement. Absolutely. The margins have improved. These are true. You're accounting differently. You're tracking all these. There were so many metrics. He's like, you're tracking these things. We're in a much better position. Actually, I shouldn't say that I didn't get any help. This gentleman did help and counsel me on the LOI. So I guess past the LOI, I kind of ran it on my own. But through the LOI, he was he was my partner and he was my team's partner. He's like, don't accept this. Don't do that. This is a trap. You know, that kind of stuff that I didn't know about. So um, he was he was he was an advisor for that. And I would say I think one of the things that is very dangerous for people is one thing that I never agreed upon 
that I would caveat that other people say stay out of. If you are selling a company under ten million, do not take an an egg like. I might be killing you here, Simon, and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> you know, but but if you're gonna give up points, make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. I did not give up points. I said I'd rather you flat bill me, and if that means they're big numbers, they're big numbers. If that means they're medium numbers, they're medium numbers. But I don't want to lose anything off the transaction because I'm not clearing fifty million dollars. I'm not clearing. $60 million. So when taxes rip all that apart, I'm that was a whole different experience. Really eye-opening. Really eye-opening. But basically, I used him for the LOI. I went through the LOI. He sends me the offer letter. This is what you're looking for. I, I, I was like, that is a number that I will sell for. And you have to remember what the economy looked like in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was it was akin to when people were getting 8x. It wasn't quite that, but everybody was feeling good. They were everybody's feeling great. So, you're looking at 5.5 turns on a professional services firm. That's a dream. That's a, it's, oh, I think we got 6 actually to be fair. I think we in the end we got dinged for 0.5 of a turn for you know how this goes, some deeper investigation and some contracting yeah, it comes out in due diligence. I mean, I think that's and I think that's a really good point for people to keep in mind is that there's the LOI, the offer you get up front, but the offer can change based on due diligence and findings. And you know, you can be damn sure that the buy side is going to definitely look for things and reasons to to knock you down, right? So. Well, I would say I would say one of the rules that I had was I had been fortunate enough to have a lot of CEO friends that had exited before me. And they were getting smoked on something called net earnout. And what I learned is this net earnout. I learned a couple things from friends. One, if you're going to sell your company, protect your salary up front. Tell them exactly what you expect to make. Two, net earnouts are a trap. Not because anybody has ill will necessarily. There's going to be some version of a net earnout on a professional services company because. You have to have client retention, and that's what they're really after, right? So what I did is I said the minimum the minimum I will take up front is 75% of the number that you've thrown at me because I picked the number that I'd be satisfied with if everything went to shit. If it, the whole thing, the wheels came off and everything blowed up, I wouldn't be left holding the bag like all of my 15 years, and I'm I'm – no, no money is coming. And that turned out to be a brilliant decision because in March of 2020, we had a major event. Yes, yeah, indeed. Extremely <laughs> major event, right? And so that was something that really worked in our favor. But um, I think for people that are selling their company, one thing I learned that is not common was I was in a very interesting position because my company was gangbusters. There was no sign of the economy slowing at for any reason at that time. And I didn't have an interest in selling. This made me extremely powerful at the negotiation table. They'd be like, "We're you need to do this, this and this." Like for instance, that at one point they said, "You're going to your sal your new salary is going to be 150,000." I was like, "Nope." And they're like, well, you just made all this money. I was like, 
but that's not what I'm worth. And they're like, you're either 160 or the deal's off. I was like, deal's off. And they're just sitting there like, what do you do with me? When, when I don't, I'm controlling the cards in that sense. Does that make sense? Like I'm, I'm in the command of the ship. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I don't think you should work for below market rates either. So I think you've, you know, well within your rights and you did the right thing. It's, it makes a lot of sense. It, uh, but I think a lot of people that start getting to the table when they see the big number, what the job of the seller and the seller's representatives is to do is to slowly grind you down. <laughs> yeah, like and it's very, it's a slow process, right? And like, next thing you know, if you were said you were going to get $10 million for your company, now all of a sudden you're at six and you're happy about it. What the, what just happened? Right? Like, what just happened? They're grinding down. So, but if you take the mentality of, I have something that they want. There will be other people behind this. Yeah, if totally. it's good enough for them, it's good enough for somebody else. If they're if you don't like the terms, don't go through with it or hold your line. Just hold the line because they're gonna keep pushing that. And every time I learned if you give an inch, they take a mile. Next thing you're gonna say, well, also, we saw this and we didn't like that. So I was very empowered in that process. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's important. I mean, look, getting deals done is a compromise, but you need to know what you're willing to compromise on and what you're not. And I think if you're not clear about that, you may find yourself in a pickle. Um, Michael, I'm, I'm cognizant of time here. We're sort of at the top of the hour, but I a um, couple of quick quick questions just to wrap up, if we could. Um, from the moment of that first phone call email when that guy first reached out to you to having a deal done, signed, delivered, you've got a you know a lump, a lump of cash in your account. How long did that take? Should have been six, took nine, nine months. It should have been six. So we basically closed end of November and it started in March. So it's always longer. How long did you hang around after the deal was done? I was contracted for one year after the deal was done. This was a COVID year. And in the first time of Unleashed History, we were flat. And I didn't feel right. So I voluntarily signed voluntarily signed on for a second year. And I said, let's get this back to where it needs to be and do the do the right thing. And I did that. And then in December of 2021, I exited. So I did two years. I only had to do one, but I did two years. Scott did not last that long. Even though he was contracted for a year, he he made it six months. He was like, anytime you want to let me go, just, just let me know. Uh, something happens to you when you sell a company. So I thought that I would be reinvigorated, but I got private equity backing me up now in this. But a piece of you is lost in that process. And again, this always comes back to what you think your reaction will be and what your reaction actually is when it happens. And so I found a loss of mo motivation. I fought very hard to stay in the game after I, now today, Mike Spinoza still owns 7% of Unleashed Technologies. I believe in that company that equity is staying right there. I know that they're going to do a great job and they're going to do big things. Yeah, and that's great. Michael, just very quickly, what, what else are you doing these days? What's your main focus? So remember that thing I put a pin in, Circumvent? Uh, my best friend uh, owned a budding cybersecurity firm. 
known as Shield 7 Consulting. And um, him and his partner had been at it a while, and I they really needed to add a third leg. These guys are phenomenal engineers and consultants, but I represent straight up strategy, business, marketing, those kinds of things. And uh, it was a big, yeah, it was a big back and forth in the sense of, it wasn't negotiations. It's when you you breach a relationship with your best friend, you need to be really clear on what, not it's not a negotiation. The negotiation wasn't salaries and blah, blah, blah. The negotiation was, if this goes south, what do we do? Because the friendship is more important than the business. So if this hits a hard line, what are our exit strategies so we can maintain our relationship? And and so that was the big talk. But we figured it out, obviously. I'm here as a CEO. It's been about, I guess, since February. So we can call that six months. Uh, we doubled in size since since uh, I joined the team. And that I'm not crediting that to me. I'm crediting it to the collective effort. And I mean that, meaning they've had some great internal accounts that have grown while I'm there. Uh, I've been able to take some things off their plate that help them focus on building our existing client set all those kinds of things. So I like to see us hit 15 or $20 million by two and a half years from now. And I'm planning to take this double the size of Unleashed. Wow, fantastic. I might exit again. Right now I have, I have three companies that I'm invested in. I, have, I own a third of another company called Rep Order Management, which is a, an HVAC, commercial HVAC manufacturers rep software platform, the only one of its kind and the only one that serves that market, we think that can go to 65 million. Yeah, nice. So that's that's a big one. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're right. I was going to say we, we, uh, we're, we've hit our time, but are you okay with people reaching out to you if people would like to connect and, and chat to you a bit further? Yeah, people. Yes, I will take contact from anybody. And if as long as it comes with the right premise, like if you're seeking advice, or you just want to talk, absolutely, you can contact me anytime. Yeah, very nice. Look, we're going to put some links in uh, in the show notes here. Um, so you can reach out to Michael. And as we always say, look, if you do reach out, let, let him know you heard him on the podcast. It's, uh, it, it does help give a bit of context there. But um, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing your story. And there's been a lot of insights today that I know people will get a lot of value out of. So, uh, so thank you. All right. Well, no, thank you. And Simon, uh, best to you. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes.
Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. 